0: Well, back in December of 1959, just down the road from us in Greensboro, uh, there was a young man whose name was Joseph McNeil. And Joseph McNeil was a freshman at North Carolina A&T. He had just finished up his first semester there. He was on Christmas break and he was at the Greensboro Greyhound bus station waiting for a bus. And while he was waiting for his bus, he started to get kind of hungry. So he went over to a a little hot dog stand that was there. Um, But when he tried to go and buy a hot dog, he was refused service, and he was refused service simply because he was black. Now, uh, obviously, that was a a jarring and and humiliating experience for him. It it was painful. It was was wrong. And uh, later on, he he told some of his roommates about this experience. And they all had this shared sense of conviction that something needed to be done. This kind of injustice was just everywhere, and and they had this conviction that they needed to do something about it. Uh, Joseph and his friends had read the writings of Gandhi about nonviolent resistance, and they had been inspired by the stories of the Freedom Rides and, uh, and the demonstrations that were being led by the Reverend Dr. King are around this same time. And so they decided to plan their own act of resistance. And some of you may know this story already. Uh, but on February 1st, 1960s, so that's just a, a couple of months after that hot dog incident, uh, Joseph and three of his friends, the, the Greensboro Four, as they came to be known, uh, they went to the store called Woolworth's and they took a seat at the lunch counter there. It was a whites-only lunch counter. And almost immediately, a, a white waitress came by and told them in no uncertain terms that they would not be served. And yet, and yet, they stayed right there. A little while later, the store manager came and told them to leave, but still, they stayed right there. In fact, they stayed right there until the store closed that evening. Well, the next day, they came back, and this time, they brought about 16 more students with them so there was about 20 students in total that day and and during that day uh, local media started to show up to cover this developing story a uh, police started showing up and still the students stayed right there the day after that they showed up with even more students and this sit-in was was starting to really gain momentum now by the end of that week they had more than 300 students joining them and, and news of the sit-in was spreading all around the country in fact students in other cities were becoming inspired to To have their own sit-ins. And by the end of March, just two months after that first day of the Greensboro sit-in, there were sit-ins happening in 55 different cities across 13 different states. Uh, Ultimately, about 70,000 people would participate in a sit-in. And all of this helped to fuel the civil rights movement. It was part of the reason why in 1964, when the Civil Rights Act was finally passed, it mandated the desegregation of public accommodations like that Woolworth's lunch counter, all of this because a brave young man leaned into his conviction that something had to be done after he wasn't even allowed to buy a hot dog. Well, I share that story with you this morning because it's a great example of what I want us to focus on today, that conviction, conviction gives us the courage to act boldly. And that's a really important insight for us as Christians uh, because Jesus calls each and every one of us to act boldly within our own context. And conviction is what helps us to step up and answer that call. You know, here in the church, we talk a lot about faith and we talk a lot about our beliefs and our faith and our beliefs matter for sure. Uh, But it's important to remember that the kind of faith that Jesus wants for us is not a faith that just stays in the abstract, but it's a faith that moves into action. You know, when Jesus would call people to to come and and be his disciple, uh, he would not say to them, hey, come and and think about me. Uh, Only on occasion did Jesus tell people, believe in me, although thinking about Jesus, believing in Jesus are are certainly good things to do. But when Jesus would call someone to be his disciple, he would say, come and," and what? Come and follow me. Come and follow me. And that's because the faith that Jesus is about is an active faith. Jesus has places he wants to lead us. Jesus has stuff that he wants us to do. Uh, You may have noticed, like Joseph McNeil noticed, that this world is far from perfect. There's a whole lot about this world that is just not what God intended. There is pain. There is struggle. There is injustice that's not what God intended. And and let's be really honest. I'm going to poke the bear here for, for just a second. But, but you and me, we are actually part of the problem sometimes. You know, we are beloved children of God, and God loves us unconditionally, and nothing will ever change that. But each one of us has a tendency at times to do things that are harmful to ourselves. Sometimes we do things that are harmful to other people, and God is not okay with that. And God doesn't want us to be okay with that either. And according to Jesus, God wants us to actively do something about it, to keep working on this world until it fully reflects God's love, to keep working on ourselves until we fully reflect God's love. And of course, uh, God promises to work with us in all of that. God promises to work through us, and, and sometimes even in spite of us, we're not working in our own power, but Jesus expects us to be active participants and to create change in the world and to create change in ourselves. It requires us to take action and often bold, action. So the kind of faith Jesus wants for us is faith with conviction, a conviction that gives us the courage to step up and do some things that might otherwise seem too hard or or too scary or just too costly. Uh, The truth is, that kind of conviction is what ultimately leads to change. It leads to change in the world, it leads to change in ourselves, and for that reason, when we lean into our faith with conviction, it makes us better and it makes our world better as well. We're going to explore that more in just a a second here. Uh, But first, to catch you up, if you weren't with us last week, we're in week two now of our sermon series that is all about courage. Uh, Last week, we talked about how courage is a vital ingredient for a meaningful life. We talked about how many of our proudest moments in our life have been those times that that required us to step up and and have some courage. Uh, We talked about how courage is especially important for the Christian life, uh, because if we're not willing to step up and do some things that are hard, Uh, if we're not willing to to get outside of our comfort zones, then we're just going to struggle to follow Jesus in a meaningful way. We're going to struggle to follow Jesus in a way that actually makes a difference in our lives and in our world. So it's super important that we cultivate courage in our lives. And throughout this sermon series, we're looking at six different dimensions of courage. And for each one, we're, we're thinking about how Jesus models it for us. And we're thinking about the difference that it makes in our lives and in our world. Now, for today, for today, we're exploring the connection between conviction and courage. The connection between conviction and courage. And I want us to watch how Jesus leaned into conviction, and that gave him the courage to take bold action, and, and he ended up doing something really amazing even when it was very costly for him. So I want us to look at this story that Minoka read to us from Luke chapter 13 uh, a few minutes ago. Uh, this story. Uh, this takes place right in the middle of Jesus's public ministry years. Um, Jesus, at this point, is uh, probably about my age. Actually, he's probably about 32 years old, as best we can tell. And here's how this story begins. Um, Luke is the one who, who wrote this story down for us. And Luke got this story by interviewing eyewitnesses. He talked to people who were actually there for this. And, and here's what Luke tells us. He says, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Uh, This was part of Jesus's M.O. He would travel around different visiting different towns, visiting different cities, and on uh, the Jewish Sabbath, that's that's Saturdays, Jesus would go to the local synagogue and he would preach during worship. Now, as a side note, uh, if you've ever wondered why we have to have a sermon like this in worship every single week, it's not because I just like to hear myself talk, um, but ultimately it's because of Jesus. Uh, Jesus made it clear that sermons, uh, th- this time of reflecting on God and reflecting on scripture and thinking about how God's word uh, applies to us right here and and right now in our own lives today, Jesus made it clear that that is an important part of weekly worship. And so Christians have have been doing it ever since. So if you don't like sermons, I'm sorry, uh, blame Jesus. That's my point. Well, on this particular Saturday morning, Jesus is doing his thing. He's in a synagogue. He's sharing a message. And then Luke tells us this. He says, a woman was there who had been disabled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and she couldn't stand up straight. I know it might sound weird to us to attribute this woman's condition to a, a, a spirit. You know, we are modern Western post-Enlightenment kinds of people. We, we typically prefer explanations that are more scientific sounding like this woman had severe kyphosis or she had some sort of severe arthritis that made it so she couldn't stand up. Uh, either way, that's really not the point here. The point is that this woman had this condition and she had it for a really long time, 18 years, if you can imagine, with all of the, the social stigma that would have come with that condition. And certainly all of the, the physical limitations that would have come with that condition. Now, Jesus sees this woman in the synagogue, and uh, Jesus is compassionate. So of course Jesus has deep compassion for her. But here's the thing. Uh, here's the thing. in this culture, at this time, uh, treating people's illnesses, Uh, practicing any kind of medicine, healing people in any way, all of that was categorized by the religious authorities as work. It was considered work. And that may not seem like a big deal to you and, and to me, but according to the Jewish law, there was to be no work on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a day of rest, no work. And according to the religious authorities, as they interpreted the law, that meant no healing on Saturdays. I thought about this week how, you know, 2,000 years later it's still hard to get a doctor's appointment on Saturdays, but that's different. That's not a, a religious thing for us in, in our culture. Well, all of, this, all of this puts Jesus in a bind here because he sees this poor woman who hasn't been able to stand up for, for 18 years and he has compassion for her. and Jesus knows He has the power to heal her, but, but if he does actually heal her here, it's gonna cost Jesus and it's gonna cost him in a very big way because that would be against the law as the, as the authorities interpreted the law. That would be in direct defiance of the whole religious establishment of his time. And it meant that if Jesus heals this woman, he's gonna make some really angry enemies Out of some very powerful people Uh, people who had the power to destroy jesus's whole reputation people who had the power to have jesus arrested people who ultimately had the power to put jesus to death so this is a really big deal Uh, and there's there's a lot of tension in this moment and we need to recognize that jesus has options here you know jesus could simply keep feeling compassion for this woman and, and leave it at that or Jesus could express his compassion for this woman. He could say, I'm sorry, ma'am, you know, you you're in my prayers. None of that would have been against the law. Uh, none of that would have cost Jesus anything, wouldn't have gotten him in trouble. But Jesus felt this deep conviction, this deep conviction that, that it was wrong that this woman had to suffer like this. And kind of like Joseph McNeil standing there at that hot dog stand, Jesus knew that he needed to do something. And so instead of ignoring his conviction, Instead of talking himself down from it, Jesus leaned into that conviction. And that gave him the courage to do something really bold, even though it was also really costly. Uh, as the story goes on, Luke says this, that when Jesus saw her, Jesus called her to him, and he said, woman, you are set free from your sickness. And he placed his hands on her, and she straightened up at once, And she praised God. She straightens up and she praises God. Well, uh, not everybody praised God along with her in that moment. In fact, a whole bunch of people who were there did not praise God in this moment. Um, All the synagogue leaders, all the religious authorities, they were irate. Because Jesus had just broken the law as they interpreted it. Jesus had just defied their authority in this super public way. And so they weren't praising God. They were threatened by this troublemaker, Jesus, who who was disrupting the status quo in a major way. Uh, Luke chapter 13, verse 14 says this. It says, The synagogue leader incensed that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. He responded, Hey, there are six days during which work is permitted. Come and be healed on those days, but not on the Sabbath day. Well, here again, uh, Jesus had the opportunity, if he had wanted to, to to back down. And actually, if he had just left quietly in that moment after he healed this woman, uh, the the whole thing might have just eventually blown over. Uh, Eventually, the the synagogue leaders might have gotten over it. Um, Jesus could have done that. But once again, this conviction is giving Jesus the courage to, to stay right there and to do the bold thing. In this case, to speak boldly. This is Luke 13, verses 15 and 16. The Lord, that's Jesus, the Lord replied, Hypocrites! And we think, whoa, Jesus, don't you want to tone it down? I mean, there's some really powerful people that you're you're talking to here. But Jesus doesn't tone it down. Hypocrites, he says, don't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox, untie your your donkey from its stall and lead it out to get a drink? He's saying, hey, you guys don't consider that work on the Sabbath. Then he goes on, then isn't it necessary that this woman, a daughter of Abraham bound by Satan for 18 long years, Isn't it necessary that she be set free from her bondage on the Sabbath day? Jesus is saying, hey, you guys act like you're so faithful to God, but your interpretation of God's law, it doesn't honor God. It actually just hurts the people that God cares about. And if you really cared about being faithful to God, you'd care about the people that God cares about. But Jesus is saying, you don't care about any of that. What you care about is maintaining your own power over other people. As you can imagine... Uh, The synagogue leaders did not wanna hear that critique from Jesus. That one really hit a nerve, and they did not let it go. Uh, Jesus moved on after this to other towns and to other synagogues, and there he said similar kinds of things, and he did similar kinds of things, and all these religious authorities in this area, they were just getting angrier and angrier at Jesus. They were getting more and more threatened by Jesus until finally they decided enough was enough. And so they they teamed up together, and one night when Jesus was outside the city of Jerusalem, they they sent some guards out to have Jesus arrested. Uh, After that, they had this really speedy sham trial where they charged Jesus with blasphemy, and they charged Jesus essentially with, with treason, and still Jesus wouldn't back down, and he wouldn't take the easy way out. He wouldn't recant So ultimately, they had him crucified, and actually just 24 hours after they had arrested Jesus, Jesus' body was already lying in the tomb. Uh, Jesus leaned into his conviction, and it gave him the courage to, to keep acting boldly, even when it ultimately cost him everything. Now, if the story ended right there, then we might wonder, uh, was it all worth it? You know, if the story ended right there, we might wonder if this kind of bold action might be better avoided than than embraced. But of course, the story didn't end there, did it? Because Jesus didn't stay dead and Jesus didn't stay silent. Jesus was raised and Jesus is still alive today, taking those same kinds of bold actions through all of the people who are willing to follow him. Uh, Jesus has promised to you and Jesus has promised to me, is that we can follow in his footsteps and we can put our faith into bold action to work for change in ourselves, to work for change in this world. And if we get knocked down along the way, If we get knocked down by our circumstances, if we get knocked down by the forces of sin in this world or evil in this world, if we get knocked down by death, Jesus will raise us up just like Jesus himself was raised up. And if we get knocked down again, Jesus will raise us up again. And Jesus will keep raising us up. And Jesus will keep raising us up as many times as it takes until eventually this world finally will be exactly as God intends for it to be. And no one, no one will ever get knocked down again. So as we think about all this, I wonder, uh, is there something in yourself or is there something in your world that Jesus is calling you to actively work on? Uh, Is there something that your faith tells you this needs to change? And that thing, whatever that thing might be, Uh, Maybe it's scary. Maybe it feels overwhelming. Maybe it feels like it would be very costly to to address it and to take action, and that's understandable. But when we feel that, can we pray, Jesus, help me to follow your example. Help me to lean in to this conviction instead of of shying away from it. Give me the courage, Jesus, to take the kind of bold action that you're calling me to take even when that action is going to be costly. Can we pray, Jesus, strengthen my faith that when I finally take on this destructive habit that I've developed in my life, or or when I finally speak up about something that's not right at at work, or when I finally confront someone I know about their their racism or or whatever it might be, strengthen my faith, Jesus, that you are right there with me, and that if I get knocked down, you're going to be right there to pick me up again. You're going to be right there to keep raising me up you know, we never know, we, we never really know what, what hangs in the balance when we're deciding whether or not we're going to lean in to our conviction. We, we often don't know what hangs in the balance when we're deciding whether or not we're going to step out and, and take some kind of bold action. I mean, just think about Joseph McNeil. You know, I'm sure he had no idea when, when he and three of his other friends were, were planning that initial sit-in. At the Greensboro Woolworths, they had no idea that that was going to end up sparking this, this movement that helped to fuel the, the wider civil rights movement. I think about how uh, two and a half years ago, um, I was sitting in my living room with about nine other people, and we were just kind of dreaming about what it would mean to plant a new church community and at that point we had never met most of you Uh, we had no idea that this hypothetical thing called kindred church would would ultimately make a difference in your life but but here we are today Uh, that's one reason that I want each and every one of you to think about and to pray about joining Kindred's launch team this summer. Because if you're willing to step up and volunteer, if you're willing to step up and serve within the church and help us to make Kindred happen, uh, you just don't know the the tens of lives that you could touch, the, the potentially hundreds of lives that you could touch as a result. We don't always know what hangs in the balance when we're deciding whether or not we're gonna lean into our conviction and, and put our faith into action. But what we do know, what we do know is that when we choose to act, when we lean into conviction and live with courage, we are following in the footsteps of Jesus. And even when it's costly, it makes us better, and it makes the world better. And whatever the outcome, we know that Jesus is right there with us every step of the way. Let me pray for us. Oh, gracious and and loving God, we thank you for your calling upon our lives. Lord, we thank you that you call us uh, out of the ordinary and into the extraordinary, Lord. You you call us to be people who are actively working to to make this world uh, the, the kind of world that you've always intended for it to be. God, you call us to be the kind of people who are working on ourselves so that we can become the kind of people that you created us to be, Lord. And and we know that doing that faithfully requires us to to be active, to take action, and and in many cases, to take some bold action. And yet oftentimes, Lord, bold action is a little bit scary. Uh, It can feel too costly. It can feel uh, overwhelming to us in certain moments, Lord. So we pray that you would give us the courage to to lean in to our conviction, to lean into our faith, to do what you're calling us to do, Lord, so that we can be the people that you have called us to be. Thank you for that calling. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for raising us up over and over and over again when the challenges that we face seem to get the better of us. Lord, we know that you're always right there with us, and you always will be. So, God, we thank you and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Meaningful to you? Consider sharing it with a friend who might also enjoy it. Uh, Be sure to subscribe to the podcast here and give us a rating that helps us connect with more listeners. This free resource and all of Kindred's ministries are supported by the generosity of people like you. Your giving changes lives, and it helps us to share and embody God's love. If you'd like to make a donation, you can do so on our website at www.kindrednc.church. Just select Give. You can find lots of ways to connect with our community on our website as well as on our social media pages. Thanks again for listening, and we will catch you next time.